following podcast represents the perspectives of the host and our guests. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast are our own and do not represent those of our places of work. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Parcels of Info, an NDC podcast, our most efficient way to deliver parcels of valuable information straight to the healthcare supply chain. Today on the podcast, we are so lucky to have Linda Harvey as our guest speaking on general education on N95 respirators. Linda is a healthcare risk manager for Linda Harvey Group, Inc. Welcome to the podcast, Linda. Thank you for having me, Liz. Could you uh, start out by giving us a little background on how you got into you know, healthcare risk management? Absolutely. Well, my roots in healthcare actually go back all the way to dental hygiene. That was my first introduction into healthcare many, many years ago. And after completing a master's degree in health administration, I decided it was time to expand beyond the four walls of an operatory. And I worked in medicine for a number of years, and that's where I obtained my risk management uh, training and credentials and expertise. And about 15 years ago, decided it was time to launch out on my own to do some independence and um, independent consulting. And I work now with ambulatory surgery centers here in Northeast Florida, providing the state required risk management program. Wow. So how how many years is that? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) maybe I shouldn't say that. (laughs) That's okay. I've been working with ambulatory surgery centers for 15 years. That's a long time. Yeah. That's a, to have a lot of experience in this area. And you obviously have a lot of education on N95 respirators and you know different kinds of masks. Did you learn all that? I guess you've learned that throughout your experience in the healthcare industry. Well, actually, no, Liz. Actually, I, I got my biggest education in N95 respirators last year when the whole world was turned upside down with COVID. That makes sense. I knew of respirators, but didn't have any close-up experience. And most of our surgery centers didn't have any need to really use them. We didn't treat, we don't treat TB positive patients. That's what we normally think of when you need a respirator, right? Right. And some of our staff, they work in hospitals. And when they see cases in the hospitals, you know, nurses, PRN, whatever their positions, they may have been fit tested in that hospital, but we weren't really doing that in our outpatient settings. So that was the biggest change for us, just the whole awareness of, oh my gosh, this is now applying to us. And we all had to you know, jump on all this, the information that was coming out from the Center for Disease Control, clamor and work with you know, great folks like Halyard and other folks that knew a lot about respirators so we could begin absorbing and learning to the level that we needed to, to protect our team and our patients. Right. So you know, you're know, you new to this too, but you've become an expert through the pandemic. So that's, that's really interesting. Yes, yes. General education on N95 respirators is something many of us are lacking. I, for one, was calling them N95 masks until recently. Um, What are some common public misconceptions out there concerning masks and N95 respirators that you can share with us? One of the biggest misconceptions is the fact that not everybody realizes that not all masks are created equal. And a lot of healthcare providers may be still struggling with some of those differentiations. So let's talk about the healthcare side first. So in healthcare, we've always had our traditional surgical mask, and those are levels one, two, and three, depending on the fluid resistance capability and the filtration capability. And those masks are tested and rated by an organization called ASTM, which was formerly called the American Society for Testing and Materials. They are an international standards organization, and they test many different types of healthcare products. So those are the types of masks that we relied upon at first. And we might use the level three because that would be the one that had some fluid resistant capability. Right. 
And then as we thought, oh my gosh, now we need to protect ourselves with a higher level mask. And that need um, arose, of course, because of COVID. But you see, even a level three surgical mask, Liz, only filters out a micron size particle, like three micron size, well, you know, three microns. Okay. And the COVID virus rather is 0.3. And that's why we needed, you know, one of the reasons, there's many reasons, because with the filtration capability of an N95 mask, the fit of that mask, how it's fit and fit tested against your face to not allow any uh, gaps for airs around the side and under the chin or even around your nose, which is the case with the surgical mask. To prevent those, were there microbes? What? Oh, uh, the micron size, micron Micro- size, yeah. Yeah, but to prevent those, it's more important for a tight, almost more important for a tight fit than what the filtration does, or maybe they're both just equally as important. They're both equally as important because if you don't have the right fit for the, you could have an N95 mask that filters, the, it's going to filter the right size particle, but if you don't have the right fit for your face, it's not going to have the right function that you need it to protect yourself. That's an important thing you've mentioned because that's I think that's a lot something that a lot of people don't know when they're looking for N95 and KN95s which brings me to my next question what is the difference between KN95 and N95 I've heard so many mixed answers well that was another thing that I learned last year that I had no idea what a KN95 mask was because I never had a need to know that and what we learned was the KN95 masks are quite different than an N95 respirator mask the KN95 masks are all made abroad to different uh, international standards for those countries, whether they're made in Mexico or Asia or China or wherever, those standards are all different. And okay. even though some of our major manufacturers here in the U.S. may be manufacturing them from other, for other countries, they're different than an N95 respirator because they have not gone through our testing standards. So, gotcha. And another um, differentiating component is the fact that a KN95 mask has an ear loop to it. It doesn't have head straps that go behind your head. And so that, uh, in many cases, you know, when that mask is donned, it doesn't have the tight seal around it like a a typical N95 mask that's been tested and approved in our country. Right. So those um, head, would you call them head straps? Those head straps around around your bad head. Yeah, I've worn worn one before. Um, Those really are critical to that fit, that tight fit. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, backing up for just a minute, Liz, we didn't talk about surgical N95 mask. I don't know. If right. The break with, so let's say a few words about that. A surgical N95 mask has both the filtration level that you want, you know, the particles, the sizes, 0.3 microns, but it also has the fluid resistant capability. And when you think about the level three surgical mask, a regular N95 mask and a surgical N95 mask, we have to know what's the right mask for the right task. That's important. Yeah, when there's an aerosol generating procedure that's going to uh, be taking place or the or the potential for aerosol generation, then you definitely want to have a surgical N95 mask because then you have both levels of protection, fluid and um, uh, particulate filtration. In most cases, for doctors and clinicians, you know, in contact with patients, that's the one to use. When there's aerosol generating procedures. When, got it, yeah. got it. So for example, let's take, you know, our, our ASC set, setting here where the ambulatory surgery centers. Uh, when you think about aerosolization in uh, ocular surgery, you know, you might need a surgical N95 mask when there's cautery being performed because of the procedures there and the spray and the splatter and the aerosolization, aerosolization, which is another long word, right? And then in the GI settings, it's the biggest risk is with the upper GI procedures because the scope is going for the oral airway and down, you know, the esophagus and the pharynx. 
I've had some experience in that sector of medical realm. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I'm familiar with that. Can we just talk a little bit more about the function and fit of an N95 respirator? Absolutely. The, the actual having a, a proper fit of an N95 respirator, Liz, uh, brings us to the OSHA's respiratory protection standard, which requires that every time a team member is wearing a different N95 mask, um, that they be fit tested for each one of those masks. But prior to being able to be fit tested, an employee has to have a medical clearance that gives them uh, the approval, if you will, to be uh, medically fit to wear a respirator mask. Wow. And, mm-hmm, that's all prescribed in OSHA's respiratory protection standard, even down to the types of questions and the exact, I shouldn't say types, I should say the exact questions that must be asked during the medical evaluation. You see, the medical evaluation is not a medical exam. It's not a physical exam. It's a questionnaire over almost 200 questions. And while this questionnaire gathers some general healthcare information, much like you might think of when a patient's filling out their health history form, this goes into great detail about someone's respiratory capabilities. You know, have they had pulmonary issues in the past? And and what kind of PPE are they going to be wearing in addition to this mask? Are they going to be in closed, confined spaces? There's just all kinds of questions on this um, medical evaluation, and the individual has to be cleared with that first, and then they're able to get um, the FIT test. And the FIT test, according to OSHA standard, has to be conducted by someone who has been trained in FIT testing procedures or has had you know, extensive experience. OSHA doesn't use the language qualified, so I couldn't say I'm qualified to do FIT testing. I can say that I've been fit test trained, which is what I did do last year in an effort to help our clients. So I have, uh, I've conducted, you know, a small group of tests here locally. I wouldn't call myself extensively trained, but um, working on that area just to help make their lives easier because you're required to have a fit test before you wear the mask. And you are also required to have an annual fit test. Fortunately for us, OSHA waived that requirement last year. So we're not have because of it being a crisis capacity and right. shortages. So, so this, I just want to say a few more words about that. So if, if any of our listeners are curious about that, they need to, you know, find a bona fide, you know, qualitative fit test kit, either the Bitrix solution or the sweet solution. And personally, I favor the Bitrix solution. The uh, Bitrix solution. Bitrix, which is bitter. So I, what the tip I will pass along is, and I learned this early on from a, another colleague who was doing fit testing in the New England area. He said, you know, sometimes people can think they taste something sweet or they can fake a sweet taste because most of us like sweets. Uh, but it's hard to fake or not acknowledge that you taste something bitter. That's true. There's so much to fit testing. It's so complicated and involved. It's a whole nother world into itself. Yes. So it might be cost effective for each ASC to have someone on our team or several people on their team to get um, trained in fit testing, purchase their own kit and be able to do it in-house when they need it to be done versus waiting and hiring someone, um, you know, that kind of thing. As far as supply goes, uh, are we supposed to be saving these uh, N95 respirators for healthcare workers? I know that's been a hot topic this past year. Oh, has it been? And I tell you, as I was beginning my learning curve last year, Liz, I, I was mortified when I would see news stories of nurses saying, oh, I've got one K95 mask. I have to wear it all week long. I have to put it in a brown bag between shifts. Can't I, imagine. Comp- I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine it. I didn't understand what was happening until I just began to do more research. And I realized that the CDC had um, 
given us three different strategies to work through this, you know, the crisis that we were all in and whether we, how to go about reusing our masks and use them for extended periods. And that's what was happening last year. We hit this, all of a sudden, this surge capacity for these respirators and we didn't have the ability to fill those orders. Uh, we had many more people wearing N95 masks than ever before. And so that really put a tax on our uh, manufacturing here and just a lot of problems with the shortages. So, so I learned more about that. I learned that you know, extended use means you're wearing the same mask you know, for an extended period of time, like for an entire shift, for example, versus per patient. And then it, um, reuse is when we put, the we put that mask in, a, say, a brown paper bag um, and let it set aside for a certain length of time, and then we reuse it on a different day. Okay. So the brown paper bag is, uh, you know, a reliable or okay it's method a, to it's use. It's a recognized technique, yeah. R recognized technique. Got a it. tip that I will pass along to our listeners is one of the resources that I relied upon last year was a website called N95Decon, D-E-C-O-N dot org. N95Decon. Dot org. This group um, consists of a lot of scientists and educators and, and physicians from, I think, around the world, but at least here in the United States, uh, that have, re have, have read all the publications and the literature and the research on how to decontaminate N95 masks. And they don't promote one method over another. They just have created some fact sheets. And each fact sheet tells you the pros and cons of, say, using that time method, which is what I call the brown paper bag method. Um, and other techniques. And then you can have see where the literature is listed below. And so anybody that wants to read those articles and research has the ability to delve into it a little bit deeper themselves. Great. Well, we will definitely uh, add that reference into the podcast description when we share this. So thank you for that. Continuing the conversation about this high demand for masks during the pandemic, do you have any insight on you know what is being done to prevent that black market mask production we've been hearing about? Oh my gosh, did you see the late breaking story just a couple of weeks ago where the uh, Washington State uh, Hospital Association had purchased 300,000 counterfeit in I think I heard masks. about that. Oh my goodness. It was horrible. So um, regrettably for them, you know, they had to drill down to the lot number to do their research because when they bought it from their distributor, it had the stamping and markings of one of the well-known brands. Uh, but unfortunately, that distributor had no um, relationship with that manufacturer. So it's so these, you know, I'm very try to be very keen. And I try to remind all of our clients to be very keen. Don't, don't just accept something on face value. Kind of go one more step deeper. OK, so if you're my new distributor and I've not worked with you, where are you getting your mask from? Right. And how do you fact check them? Um, and which is kind of sad to say, but true, because so many masks that um, have been in this country have been here fraudulently and they're not up to our standards. And earlier we just mentioned that those KN95 masks aren't um, manufactured by our standards here in the United States. And so that put us into that whole category that we want to talk about with um, how did they get here to begin with, right? <laughs> and how right. they improved. So the Food and Drug Administration um, used their, author, um, their authority to issue what's called an emergency use authorization. And last April, the Food and Drug Administration granted EUA to um, dozens upon dozens of foreign manufacturers to come in to this country or sell their masks here in this country um, under that, that emergency uh, authorization use you know, protocol. But sadly, then in 
as the FDA and NIOSH started testing some of these masks, many of them didn't even filter 95%. They barely filtered 25%. Wow. So they, That's low. Very low because all of a sudden in May, that list shrank list from being like nine pages long down to about two pages long. And if someone wasn't staying in tune with all these regulatory changes at the national level, you might say, hey, I'm really stockpiled with K95s. Now I got a couple thousand. I got a really good deal. I'm good to go. And then if you took one more look, you would go, holy cow, these are all fraudulent. They're not going to protect my team. You know, they don't. It's sad that, you know, Mm -hmm. people are getting duped like this. This is. It's very sad. It's continuing. So we just have to. That's why it's so important to work with known distributors um, and like you all and, and the, who's fact-checking, you've got a regulatory department, you're always staying in tune to what's changing. And you, you could have, if we can use that phrase, you've got their back. Right. Those relationships are so important and just being aware of where your distributors are getting their products. Back on the N95 respirators, what are some safety features of N95 respirator masks? Well, the safety features are they've been tested to to that particulate filtration of 95%. And so you want to be sure that you have a credible mask from a reputable distributor that you know is, you know, selling you qualified products. And then the other safety features include, you know, it's got the two head straps on the back of a bona fide mask, and you want it to have the fit and function that you need. And so when you think about the fit and function, it's not just the OSHA fit test requirement, but is it comfortable to wear? I mean, you might get a fit test that says, hey, you passed, this is great. You can't test, taste or smell this, you know, the testing solution, but it might be awfully uncomfortable and it is difficult to breathe through an N95 mask. So you wanna look at a mask and evaluate several styles if you can for each employee and they can have a fit that's really comfortable for them. You know, some of the fits um, have, give you larger space for your face, you know, and so it's not, you know, so if I can use the word, feel like it's squashed against your face. Um, that's an important aspect. I know some of the masks that have been on the market have valves on them, and that's not recommended by the CDC because then your exhalation is coming out. So I've heard that. I've heard that that's um, people have been wearing them and they're not necessarily is allowed the right word as um, yes they have not been approved they're not they're not proof permitted yeah yeah so but I do know that some of those manufacturers have created an accessory to go on the inside of the mask that perhaps it's the outside so but I beg your pardon I haven't actually seen it but it covers over the valve. So that way it does provide the protection. So if you have that type of accessory, then you should be fine um, and, wear, if it's been fit tested. And would something like that, like this new way of introducing that valve be EAU, uh, emergency youth authorized? Well, I, um, you know, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question because I would assume, but this, we don't want to assume that when you add this new accessory that somehow it's been tested or checked. And I don't know whether that would have been through the emergency use authorization, which I would assume so to get something to the market that fast. So to, to move more quickly through the market, you know, right. is probably what they have. Uh, although I have not fact checked where that is. So something good to do. I'll have to look into that. So as far as Linda safety features go for N95 respirators, what would you say about reusing, reuse? So we hear a lot of um, questions about if it's okay to reuse, you know, we, the brown paper bag method we we mentioned. What's your take on that? Let's go a little bit deeper into that, Liz, because sure. one of the strategies that I started to kind of mention earlier, and we've had so many other point, good points, were the crisis capacity, the contingency capacity, and the conventional capacity strategies. 
the conventional capacities we can think about as sort of being our level of normal. That's where we were before we hit all that sudden surge in the immediate crisis capacity last year. And the conventional capacity means that we have ample number of masks. We're using other strategies such as environmental and, and administrative controls to uh, protect team members from aerosol generating procedures and you know, disease transmission. The crisis capacity, if we go to the other end, is where we were last year. And that's when we needed to rely on the extended use of N95s, the reuse, and, and, and we all learned about the brown paper technique and other techniques to sort of be able to reuse the mask. With that brown paper bag technique, that doesn't decontaminate the mask. All it does is leave it dormant for, say, five to seven days. And then the um, philosophy behind that is that whatever bacteria and virus are in the mask have a chance to deactivate. So it's not okay. actually using any chemicals or introducing anything that would be contrary to the manufacturer's instructions for use. And by the way, those are four key words we haven't even talked about yet. Um, so when you, we think about you know, using a technique that you saw on YouTube to decontaminate your mask, because maybe a medical professional in another area decided, hey, this is something I created, it's a good idea. And um, you know, we want to believe someone who's trying to help people. It's, it's might not be. <laughs> exactly, not a good idea. It's contrary to the manufacturer's instructions for use. So the MIFDs, we have to look at that entirely. And so, but a couple of things the Food and Drug Administration did to help ease that, besides the EUA we talked about, was to extend the shelf life of expired N95 respirators. So for facilities that maybe had some on stock but didn't really ever have a need to use them, you know, they were allowed to use those and still be safe to use those. Oh, that's great. That's um, I'm sure that helped with supply a great deal. Oh, gosh, yes. So let's go back to the middle strategy that we didn't talk about, and that is the contingency one. And that's sort of that's where I see us now, because I feel like all the manufacturers here in the United States have really kicked it up a notch, you know, increasing their manufacturing capabilities to produce the volume of mass that we need here within this country. And I think that's one thing everybody's very focused on what can we do to bring this problem back to home and solve it here within our borders and have our capacity back where we need it. So as we get more into and stay steady in that middle strategy there with the um, contingency strategy and contingency capacity, that we need to move away from the crisis capacity of reusing these masks and reusing them. So facilities should be looking at what's called their burn rate, which is um, how fast are they going through their PPE? How much PPE do they need, especially the mask? And you can use either the CDC tool for that, or you can look at your order history, perhaps engage how much you've had. And if you're able to keep a you know certain amount on stock and you feel like you're steady, then you can say, okay, we don't need to you know use the same mask all week long. We can now go back to you know discarding them and changing out more regularly. And the, the hope of getting all the way back over to the far side to that green light and being in just conventional capacity eventually. This is all great information, Linda, things that I did not know about before. Another question I have is double masking. I've heard every opinion on this. What What is right? Yes, and that's a kind of a moving target as well, Liz. So I had attended an infection control conference last month, and one of the presenters was from NIOSH, and she actually works in the department where they conduct the testing for the N95 respirators. She recommended not double masking with any type of tight mask over your N95 respirator. And that would be such as um, near loop surgical mask that might kind of be tight. And the reason she said that was because it could dislodge your fit and, and it's, I'll say seal. 
and therefore it's not performing the function that it's supposed to. So she recommended that using a face shield would help to provide some extra protection over your face if you want to protect your surgical mask or using um, a surgical tie mask, something that you know you can maybe tie one of the loops above your head, maybe leave the bottom one open or tie it looser around your neck. Um, and then you have that extra cover over the mask, but you're not using anything tight over your N95. Right. So underneath you have that tight fit and on top it's, you know, covering the extra filtration. Yeah, just a little, yeah, just a little extra loose. Gotcha. If someone felt like they needed to. It's not typically recommended, but maybe if there's a certain procedure or or something that, or maybe you are, maybe you're um, providing, performing a procedure on a COVID positive patient for whatever reason, um, that you want to have that extra, you know, uh, precaution that could be a way to do it. This reminds me of one of my girlfriends. She has been flying during COVID, but only with a KN95 and a face shield. She yeah. sent me a picture of the airport. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a way to travel, though. That's yeah. the most effective. Yeah, these days it is. <laughs> so before we wrap up here, do you have any pearls of wisdom to share with our listeners, Linda, as far as safe mask use goes? I have three things, Liz. One is stay informed. Rely on the credible resources like you're providing here with NDC and your podcast. Look to the known regulators, you know, CDC, OSHA, follow those. And just be cautious about, you know, that information. Go straight to the source. Always fact check. Um, second, be sure you select the right mask for the right task. And we talked about that as far as the surgical mask, the N95, the surgical N95 mask, because you want that level of filtration of a medical grade mask. And then last but not least, stay the course. I know that many of us get weary. You know, we've gone through several periods like, is this going to be over yet? And, you know, we're not finished yet. We don't know when that date will be. But so it's important just to say, you know, for the time being, this is how we are. And we're going to just keep moving forward and accept that in a a positive fashion so we can stay the course and stay healthy. Stay the course and stay healthy. Those are two key pieces of advice I, I believe are important right now. Before we go, I just have one more question about the general public. I think a lot of people want to know, should they be wearing KN95 and 95 masks if they have access to it? Or what should the general public be wearing? I just saw a CDC update just from earlier this week. And so that's not recommended, but it is recommended for double masking. And I'm going to say double masking kind of with loose quotation marks around it. Um, The CDC has actually given some strategies um, for the general public to take they're calling them a medical grade mask. So I'm, I'm guessing that might be something you could buy at your drugstore because they're not going to buy okay. it from a, you know, a, a, you know, medical vendor or right. supplier. So the idea behind that is you take, there's two strategies that they promoted. One is that you can take the straps or the ear loops on your, um, your mask, your surgical, your, your medical mask, tie it together, you know, at the corner of the cheek tie a knot there. So that brings it in tight against the cheek and you kind of get a little bit more of a form, you know, fit around the face. And then also on top of that, wear another mask, like a cloth mask. And I will use the term, you know, like a gator, for example, um, or maybe a double, a second mask over it. Together, those can provide more filtration for the general public. No, they don't meet the standard of N95 uh, or surgical N95 mask, but for the general public, um, that would be good for blocking not only their droplets, you know, and speaking and talking, but it'll help to um, filter out any droplets, you know, in the air around them. And the CDC does say that masking is not a substitute for social distancing. So we're right. still a six feet parameter where, where possible. Right. That is, um, that is key. That is important to remember. And these are some great facts and pieces of parcels of info that we can share with our listeners and 
that I'm learning too. This is a learning experience for me. So thank you so much to Linda Harvey for being a guest today on the podcast. Thank you, Linda. My pleasure. Thank you, Liz. And big thank you to Halyard. This podcast was made possible by the gracious support of Halyard. You can visit www.halyardhealth.com to view Halyard's portfolio of healthcare products. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Parcels of Info, and NDC podcast, our most efficient way to deliver parcels of valuable information straight to the healthcare supply chain. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform, like, share, send to your buddy, and we'll catch you next time on Parcels of Info. Bye.